Well, over the last few weeks, we've been walking through the prayer series. Just learning how to pray by listening to Jesus and how Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Week one, we focused in our Father who art in heaven. We focused in those two words of our Father. And really kind of dove in the idea that um, your opinion of your Father on earth affects your relationship with God. Or your relationship with your Father on earth affects your relationship with God. So if you had a father who was loving and merciful and gracious and kind, most likely that's your mindset of God. But if you had a father who was abusive and who was um, overbearing and hard to deal with, a lot of times that's your opinion of God. And we dove in and talked about how our father in heaven, God, is a loving father, is a gracious father, is a, con, is a kind father. Week two, we dove into thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Really focused in on how that's a prayer of surrender. That's saying, God, I'm not in charge, you're in charge. God, I don't want my will, I want your will. God, and I'm willing to let go of it, and I can give it over to you, and that is an antidote to stress. And so week one, we learn that we can talk to our Father, and then we surrender to Him, and when we do that, then that, that releases stress. Week three was give us this day our daily bread. That's a prayer saying, uh, God, you have all that I need. And God, I don't need to worry about tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread is a prayer that we pray that then uh, is the antidote to worry, that we let go of our worries and that we focus in on God. I'm going to focus on today. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about next week. I'm going to worry about what happens in a year or two years from now. And it's kind of funny because whenever you kind of preach through these series, something comes up in your mind and something happens just like... Uh, it wasn't, uh, I think it was this morning, my son Caleb, and I'm going to pick on him for a moment because he was just laughing about, at me. My wife said, uh, singing and making a joyful noise. She said, right, Bri? Because she knows it's noise. Well, we're going through with Luke driving now, and Caleb says to me, I think it was this morning, Dad, wh- what car will I get when I turn 16? I'm like, you're 14 years old. I'm not thinking two years down the road or a year and a half down the road. Let's deal with today. That's the idea in the scripture. Let's not worry about next week and, and two weeks down the road and three weeks down the road. Let's deal with today. And then last week, we looked at being cleansed in prayer. Forgive us our debts. The idea that we go to God and say, God, I want to release this guilt I have. I want to give it to you and I want to trust that you truly will cleanse me and you'll forgive me of all my debts. I gave you a spiritual evaluation tool that was in your growth guide. Now, if you missed that, you can go online, you can download it, and you can uh, go through that. But just spending some time wrestling between you and God, pad of paper, away from phone, away from television, away from work, and saying, God, help me come clean. Help me to be forgiven of everything that I've done. Forgive me of my debts. Now, if you missed any of these messages, you can always go online, mycpoint.com. That's our church's website. You can download the messages on your podcast. You can watch them. You can download previous growth guides. You get all caught up. We talked about this topic of guilt last week. That when we carry a lot of sin, many times Satan will use guilt on us. And it's an emotion that is a useless emotion from Satan to help us to become feeling guilty. And it tires us out and then it separates us from God. Today I want to talk about another emotion I think it's kind of the twin. It's a misery twin to guilt, and that is resentment. Satan loves to use resentment on us, and when we are resentful people, it can destroy us. This week, I want us to look at what is known as the prayer of release. It deals with this idea of resentment. Matthew 6, 12, look at it with me 
Forgive us our sins. That was last week. Just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Part two of this verse. Yes, we're taking two weeks to deal with one verse. Forgive us our sins. Just as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Do you see what this passage is saying? I mean, in real common language, what it's saying is, Lord, I want you to forgive me as much as I forgive others. And we're also saying, God, if I don't forgive, then you don't forgive me. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. It's a prayer of release. And the fact is, all of us have been hurt at some time or another. All of us have had a time when someone has spoke ill will against us. All of us have had a time when someone has stabbed us in the back. All of us have had a time when uh, someone has done us wrong. And truth be told, as long as we're on this earth, and until Jesus comes back, chances are that's going to happen again. Chances are your husband or your wife is going to say something that hurts your feelings. Chances are a friend is going to speak ill of you. Chances are someone who you know is going to do something that hurts you. Chances are the schoolmate may say something that's unkind. And just like the garbage of guilt that we talked about last week, what can create in us is resentment, which becomes garbage. And we have to learn how do we get that out of our lives so that we don't stink up and have a, a life that is stinky lived with guilt and resentment. If you allow resentment and grudges and anger to build up inside of your life, you don't know how to let it go. You don't want to get rid of it. Then that poison gets inside of you and that spirit will destroy you. It destroys who God wants you to be. It's one thing to forgive people who just hurt you one time. Sometimes that's the easy thing. Well, they just kind of messed up one time. But how do you handle when it happens again? And someone has wronged you again. And how does it happen when they've wronged you again? And how does it happen when they've wronged you again? Now you've been hurt several times and they keep hurting you over and over and over again. What are you supposed to do with those kinds of people? Our culture many times it says, hey, forget them. Turn your back on them. I don't want to talk to them. You know, they've wronged me, then forget it. I'll have nothing to do with them. But how often am I supposed to forgive somebody? And that's a very real question. When someone has hurt me, how often am I supposed to keep forgiving them? That's a good question. Matter of fact, it's such a good question that Peter raised that question some 2,000 years ago. Matthew 18, 21, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, we don't know in this text if Peter was talking about his, his brother Andrew And did Andrew do something wrong to Peter? Or was Peter just talking about, in general, people that I have relationships with, if they do something wrong to me, then how am I supposed to handle that? But I know that most of the times, most of the deepest anger and resentment and hurt and frustration comes from people who you're closest with. Is that not true? A lot of times it's a spouse who hurts you. It's a son. It's a daughter. It's a friend. It's a co-worker you're close with. Most anger and resentment comes from that. I've heard it said before that to dwell above with those we love, that will be a glory. But to dwell below with those we know, now that's a different story. Sometimes it's tough here on earth. The people that we dwell with, the people that we we live with, the relationships. It's the people around us that we're closest to many times that hurt us the most. I think it's much easier to forgive an offense for someone who we're not close with and we probably won't see them again. I'll just let that one go. But what about my brother who keeps on hurting, my sister who I'm in contact with, my wife, my husband, my daughter, my son, my closest friend? How do we forgive them? Now, sometimes we may joke about it. Sometimes we play it off. 
But sometimes those hurts go very deep, deeply hurt by a family member, something he said or something he did, physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse. It may have been in your immediate family. It may have been an uncle or a grandparent or somebody else that you were close to. And you've been deeply hurt by that family member. And you can still remember it today. And even sitting here right now, you start thinking about that person and those thoughts come up and you go, oh, I don't really care for that person. I really don't want to see that person. I'd rather not interact with that person. I'd rather they just stay totally out of my life. Peter's talking about this. Peter is saying, how often do I keep on forgiving these people who have hurt me, my brother? And he says, seven times. Well, Peter knows the Jewish law. And so he thinks he's offering up something really good because he knows the Jewish law. And the Jewish law says, you shall forgive your brother or someone who's robbed you three times. And so Peter says to Jesus, well, what about seven? That doubles it plus adds one, gives us seven. And that's like, now we got the holy number. And I think Peter's kind of saying, hey, is that good enough? And the response from Jesus in Matthew 18, 22, Jesus answered not seven times, but 77 times. So I guess that means that when someone's wrongs you, you start counting. Well, I forgive them once. Okay, I forgive them twice. I forgive them three times. I forgive them four times. And you get to 77 and you're done, right? That's not what he's talking about either. The, the point is, if I'm counting, then I'm not really forgiving. If I'm holding on to it and I'm counting, then I really haven't forgiven. He's, he's saying an unlimited number of times what Jesus is getting to. How hey, about 770 times? He's saying you have to keep on keeping on. Someone wrongs you, you forgive them. You keep on releasing the hurt and you have to keep on forgiving the offender. And that's what I want to talk about today is what does this mean? What does it look like and how do I do that? But Jesus wanted to clarify this. And so in this passage, he goes on and says, here's what it means to keep on forgiving over and over and over again and to keep on forgiving someone who has wronged you. Matthew 18, I'll just let me pull a few of the verses out of their text, but you can read the whole story. Once there was a king who decided to collect on all the debts that his servants owed him. And we don't know, maybe there was a recession going on. Maybe the king just thought, I'm just tired of lending out people money, so we're just going to get it all back in here, and we're not really sure. So he began to call them in one at a time, and he asked them to be repaid. He discovered that one of the servants owed him 10,000 talents of money. Now, for us, we go, talent of money, what is that? We probably can understand that that was their, their means of, of sharing funds and their means of how they pay for things, just like we have dollar bills or $5 bills or $10 bills or $100 bills. They had talents and they had denarius and denarii, and that's what they used. And they called their talents, they were talents of gold. And he says that this guy owed him 10,000 talents. And as you read that, look at that. I've read this story many times. I don't think it ever really dawn on me to stop and say, well, what is 10,000 talents? Because my mind tends to go to dollar bills. And so I probably think, well, it's maybe around $10,000. But if you stop and you dig into that and try to understand what is 10,000 talents, it's a whole lot of money. It's actually somewhere in the neighborhood of about $12 million in debt. Stop and think about that for a moment. Wait a minute. The king calls him in realizes he owes about $12 million and says, pay up, buddy. I want it now. Could you imagine if your bank called you up and said, hey, come on in. We're calling your note. You got to pay for the house now. And maybe you owe 100000 or 50000 or 150000 or $200,000 or $300,000 in your house. And they're like, yeah, you got to pay for that. How, what would you do? How would you do that? That's what they were doing. Or could you imagine just if you're 
you, the loan on your car, they call you in and say, hey, you've got to pay that note now. It's $10,000 you own or $20,000 you own, and you've got to pay for that now. In those days, bankruptcy was a big deal. And in those days, bankruptcy, if someone went bankrupt, then basically you became a slave to the person who you owed money to. Jesus said, since the servant did not have enough to pay his great debt, the king ordered him to be sold as a slave along with his wife and children and all that he had in order to repay his debt. That's what could have been done. In those days, it was real simple. You become bankrupt, you owe money, you're just sold in a slavery. You, your family, your wife, your children, everybody, debtors in your house, you now become a servant to the king or the person you owe money to. The truth is this guy's $12 million in debt to the king. How would you possibly pay back $12 million? It would be impossible for a servant to ever pay off that much money. There's no way he could have done it. Think about $12 million. If a servant could pay even $100 a day to start paying him back, it would take him 300 years to pay back the entire debt. That's an impossible debt. And as you go in the story, we find that the servant fell to his knees and he begged the king, please, sir, be patient with me and I'll pay you back everything I owe. Basically, the pathetic guy comes and falls to his knees and he's begging for mercy. He's saying, I can't pay you back, but please give me time. I'll get there. I'll get there. I promise I'll pay you. It's kind of like one of the movies where the mob is taking someone and says, you owe me $20,000 or $50,000 or you owe me a million. And the guy is begging for his life as they're ready to kill him and, and send him to the bottom of the lake. And he's like, no, give me twenty four more hours. I promise I'll get you the money. Even though they don't know how to get it. That's how pathetic he was. That's, just, that's where he was stuck at. But the king notices his plea. He feels sorry for the servant and he actually releases him of the debt. He actually says, listen, you don't have to pay it. He says, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to write it off. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to, I'm going to let you off the hook. I'm going to forgive you and we're going to say the count was settled. You owe me nothing. Can you imagine $12 million? Let's just wipe the slate clean. Let's forget about it. Matthew 18, 27 says the king's heart was moved with pity, which means compassion. He released him. And that's what we're talking about. The prayer of release. He released him and forgave him, canceling the entire debt. Not part of it. Every single part of it was canceled. Why would anybody do that? I mean, really, why would anybody just let anybody else off the hook? I think more important question is, why must we do it? Why must we do it? Why must we let people off the hook who've hurt us so deeply and so badly when everything else in you wants to hold on to that hurt and everything else in you says, I'm going to get them back? Why is it? God's word gives us three reasons why we have to let people go. Why we have to forgive them. Why we have to wipe the slate clean. Why we have to allow to start over. Why we have to forgive over and over and over and over again. He gives us three reasons. One is because God forgives me. He's forgiven me many times, so I'm to forgive other people. God has forgiven me. In this story that Jesus tells, the king represents God, and he forgives the servant. Again, look what 18.27 says in NIV. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled his debt, and let him go. Just as the king canceled the debt of the servant in the story, God has sent us Jesus Christ to pay for your debt and my debt. Stop and think about that for a moment. Just as... The servant owed a huge debt that there's no way he could have paid it back. It would have been impossible to pay a $12 million debt back. And it's impossible for us to pay all of our debt back to God. God gives us Jesus. Everything we've ever done wrong in our life, everything we've already, we've sinned, we've messed up, 
Jesus has paid the debt. Jesus paid our jail time, so to speak. Jesus paid our ticket. He took our offenses and he paid for them for you and me. The Bible says all have sinned, but God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust Jesus who freely takes away our sins. We've all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he takes away all of our sins. That's the meaning of grace. We talked about it last week. About getting rid of our guilt. When I admit to God. When I admit my sin and say, God, yes, that's my sin. God, I own it. I agree with you. It's in my imperfections. I've done some things wrong. God, I've rebelled against you. God says, I forgive you. And I'm instantly going to clean your slate. I'm instantly going to wipe it clean. I'm instantly going to make you pure again. The fact is that you and I owe an enormous debt to God. And you and I can never pay it back. And God paid for the debt in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. If you were the servant in the story, how would you feel if someone told you you owed a million dollars and he said, let's just call it even? How would you feel? I mean, just think about the debt you carry right now. Maybe you have a house debt, car debt, student loan debt. Maybe you borrowed some money from a mom or a dad or a friend. Maybe you have some credit card debt. How would would that go? If your friend releases you or your parents release you from the debt or the bank releases you from the debt, you'd be pretty excited. I bet you would tweet it or put it on Facebook or take a picture of the letter you received and, you know, put it out there on Instagram. You would do something I'm excited. I guarantee you if someone released me of $12 million, I'm going to be going crazy about that. And I'd make sure everybody knew, and probably for some of us, we'd throw a party and we'd go borrow some money to have the party. We'd be like, I'm free. We'd make sure everybody knew. You know, Jesus did that for you. Jesus did that for you. He set you free, so who have you told lately? That's the prayer of release. God, release me. You're released. Good. Go tell someone you're free in Jesus Christ. That's not what the servant did. And this story reacts very differently. In fact, he does what he does is once he's forgiven, he walks out of the king's presence and he finds a guy who owes him just a little bit of money. Not a lot, just a tad. Look what it says. But the servant went out and found a man who owed him a hundred denarii and he grabbed him by the throat and harshly demanded, you must pay me back right now. And the man pleaded just as a servant had with the king. I promise to pay you back. Just give me some time. That's just what the servant did. But the unforgiving servant refused and he had the man thrown in jail. It's interesting. This guy, although he'd been forgiven of a $12 million debt, of a debt that was impossible to repay, he shows no mercy. The guy owes him a little bit of money. By the way, do you have any idea how much a hundred denarii is? We have a guess. How much? Can you guess how many? How much is a hundred denarii? Just make a guess. Not not if you're in first service, you can't do that. Someone make a guess. Be bold. Ten bucks. That's what they said in first service. Mark, wrong, but close. Very close. Seventeen dollars. A denarii is about seventeen dollars worth of money. It's not a whole lot of bucks. Whole whole lot of bucks. Seventeen dollars. He goes to this guy and he starts grabbing him by the throat, choking him. Give me my seventeen dollars. He was just released of twelve million. 
So why would he grab the person by the throat and choke them? Give me my $17 million. Well, that was allowed in, in Roman law. You were allowed, if someone owed you money, you were allowed to kind of threaten them because it was kind of a symbol, like, I'm going to squeeze it out of you. I'm going to get the money from you somehow, some way. You weren't allowed to take their life, though. But you could literally have them arrested and say, they owe me money and they haven't paid it. And that guy, that's what he did. And he threw him into jail. Why is the guy so harsh? Why would someone who was released of $12 million, a debt that was impossible to repay, go to someone who owes $17 and be so harsh on them? Why would someone do that and not just say $17? Who cares? I think the reason why is because the guy didn't really realize that he had really been forgiven of the debt. He really didn't get it. He really thought in his mind, even though the king says you're free of $12 million, he's really somehow going to come after me and say, no, you really do owe the money. And so he goes to the next guy that he thinks he can shake down and get some money out of him because he thinks i got to start working towards the $17 million or, or the $12 million that I owe. And so he really hasn't embraced the forgiveness. And since he hasn't really embraced the forgiveness, then he's harsh to the next person that he goes out to. See, here's the point. When I feel unforgiving, then I am unforgiven. And, and that's a story teaching. When I feel unforgiving, then I'm unforgiving. When I feel ungraced, then I will be ungracious. When I don't feel released by, on my mistakes and sins, I surely don't want to release somebody else from their mistakes and sins. And then when I don't feel good about me, I surely don't want you to feel good about you. And so I hold it over your head and I won't embrace forgiveness. We don't feel forgiven we don't feel like the weight's really off of our back, then what we do is we don't call it other people slack. But when we really realize what forgiveness is, then we can forgive other people. See, when you find anybody who's harsh and judgmental and critical and self-righteous and holds a standard perfection that, that even they themselves can't hold up to, and they're demanding in every sense of the word, you know one thing, they're guilty and they feel guilty. People are carrying a secret guilt. Take it out on everybody else. It's a good time to stop and ask yourself, am I resentful? Am I unforgiving? Am I harsh? Am I difficult on people? Do I expect an awful lot of people on how they behave, but don't expect it of myself? To whom much has been forgiven, they are more forgiving to everybody else. Let me ask you a question. Are you unconsciously just trying to repay God? So maybe you're a believer in Jesus, but inside you've accepted Christ's salvation. But, but inside, you're trying to make it up to the Lord. The Lord says, you've been forgiven of that. You fill in the blank. You, you've been forgiven of divorce. Let, let it go. You've been forgiven of, of your addictions that you had in the past. Let it go. You've been forgiven of your unfaithfulness in your marriage. You've been forgiven when you cheated on your spouse. You've been forgiven of your hate or your anger or your short tongue. You've been forgiven all of that. It's time just to let it go. But are you trying to repay God? Sometimes we say, I, I, I'm going to try to be good enough. I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to do that. And I've got to tell you, it's not going to happen. It doesn't happen that way. We're in too much debt, but we've already been forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. So what do I need to do instead of trying to get even? I would suggest we just need to relax. Take a deep breath with me. Let it out. Sometimes you just need to relax. We need to hold on to Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind and compassionate one another. That means to everybody. Why? Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. 
sometimes we relax and go, God has forgiven me of my screw-ups. Yep, that means I can forgive others. Absolutely true. By the way, you'll never have to forgive anybody more than God's already forgiven you. You will never have to forgive anybody more than God has already forgiven you. So there are three reasons I have to let go of my hurt in my heart and have to forgive people when it hurt me. One is God has forgiven me, quote unquote, a $12 million debt, a debt that is impossible to pay back. Two is resentment is self-torture. It is self-inflicted wound. Whenever you're resentful, whenever you're holding on a grudge, whenever you get bitter, it's always hurt you more than a person more than the person you're bitter against. In fact, I think most of the people who have hurt us, they're not even thinking about it today. If it happened even a week ago, or two weeks ago, or two years ago, or 20 years ago, and someone hurt you, and you're holding on to it, how could they said that? How could have they done this? How could they behave that way? And you're holding on to today. It's destroying you while they're just happy along in life. The people who've hurt you in your past... They can't hurt you anymore unless you hold on to it. Unless you hold on to it. The only way they can hurt you is if you hold on to the hurt. And holding on to the hurt is what's called resentment. Job 5.2 says resentment. In other words, I wish they had never done that. I'm so mad at them. That kind of resentment. Resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. And trust me, Job in his life and all his hurts and all his pains, he would understand what it means to live a life of resentment or to be resentful. He could have chose that route. And he says, when you choose to live a life of resentment, you're just being a fool. It doesn't work. Resentment is self-torture. You're only hurting yourself. In the story that Jesus told, when a king hears this sermon, who he's forgiven 12 million bucks, or reported back to that, hey, he's been out choking down somebody, trying to get 17 bucks. The king is furious, he's livid, and he has a servant come back to him, and he says, you contemptible and wicked servant, I forgave you and released you. That's the prayer release. And I canceled your debt. Shouldn't you have shown mercy and released to your debtor just as I did with you? In wrath, the king sent him to the jailers to be tortured in the torture chamber. It's really interesting. The word jailers in the Greek word actually literally means torturers. He says, if you're going to be grabbing everybody else and choking them by the throat after, after I've forgiven all you have, 12 million bucks, let the guy be tortured. Let the guy be tortured. What's the point of that? I think what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that resentment is torture. Resentment is torture. It hurts you on the inside. When you get resentful, when you carry bitterness in your heart, it's destroying you. It's a prison that's going to torment you. It's a self-imposed poison. And nobody else is making you miserable. You're making yourself miserable because you can't let the hurt go. Keep holding on to it and nursing it and grudging and saying, I'll never forgive. Torments your mind, torments your body, torments your soul. It destroys who you are. Resentment, I think it can be far worse than cancer. It eats you alive. Cancer can be cured. Resentment can only be cured when you let it go. If you hold on to it, it continues to destroy your peace and your happiness and your contentment and who you are in Christ. The fact is it can actually make you even uh, unhealthy and physically sick. Medical study published in Heart Circulation magazine reported that people who carry resentment, 
someone who is mad at somebody and you want them off the hook, you're in trouble physically. Twice as likely to have a stroke, three times more likely to have a heart attack, or three times more likely to have bypass surgery. Four times more likely to have unhealthy levels of cholesterol. What's the study saying? It's not what you eat. It's not what you eat. It's what eats you that's making you sick. What's eating at you today? What is it possibly that God's got you here today to hear to say, you know, it's time to let go of that. What's burning you up on the inside that is destroying? Let me ask you, what hurtful memory are you holding on to that is torturing you every time you think about it? And God is saying, it's time to forgive and let it go. That person who hurt you and you're still mad at them, what is it that every time you think about it, it continues to torment and continues to destroy? Listen closely for a second. If you get nothing else out of this message, you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, you need to take notes. Write this one thing down. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Satan wants to use your anger and your hurt and your bitterness to destroy what the purpose is that God has planned for you in your life. It's not worth it. You've got to pray the prayer release and say, God, help me to forgive my debtors. Forgive our debts. Forgive the people who have hurt me. I have to learn to forgive because God has forgiven me. Resentment is self-torture. And there's one more reason. I have to release them because I need forgiveness every day. I have to release them because I need forgiveness every day. The Bible teaches very clearly that we cannot receive what we are unwilling to give. Do you want to be forgiven? The Bible says you must be forgiving. That's what the Lord's Prayer says. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Do you really want to pray that? I mean, do, do you really want to pray, God, forgive me as I forgive others? That's what the Lord's Prayer is. I want you to forgive me as much as I forgive others. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. It's not just something you do one time. You need to do it every single day of your life and many times throughout an entire day. You've got to ask for forgiveness. You've got to accept for forgiveness from God. You've got to give forgiveness. Forgiveness is to be constant and it must be continual. It must be enjoyed and it must be employed. It's got to be something we put into action. You receive it because we mess up a lot. We need to enjoy it, but we've got to employ it. It's got to be constant and continual. One time, a person asked John Wesley, the famous Methodist preacher, he said, uh, you know that person? I could never forgive them. And Wesley replied and said, then I hope you never sin. Stop and think about that. If we want our sins to be forgiven, then we must forgive others. The Bible says it will be forgiven as much as we forgive. We don't want to burn the bridge you've got to cross in order to get to heaven. We don't want to burn that bridge. You need to forgive in order to get forgiveness because it's a two-way street. In fact, in the story Jesus told here, he treats the servant exactly the way the servant treats the other guy. The scripture says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. It's not just a mental thing. It's not just a mind thing. It's a head. It's a heart. It's a spirit thing that we forgive them completely and wholly. That we don't hold on to it. You don't let go and say, well, I let go, but I'll never forget. No, you let it all go. You let every single bit of it go. I want you to pick up the blank cards that are in your chairs around you. There's some cards, little scrap pieces of paper like this. Everybody get one of those in your hand. 
I want to do a little exercise with you this morning to wrap up this message. Last week we did a, an exercise as a spiritual assessment tool. Again, if you didn't get that, you can go online, pull up the growth guide. It's on there. little exercise just to start thinking and, Lord willing, move towards this prayer of release. I promise nobody's going to see this. Husbands, don't be looking over your wife's shoulders. Wives, don't be, looking over, don't be looking over your kids' shoulders. Keep it all hidden if you want to. It's between you and God. It's personal. In a minute, I want to ask you to write some names down. I want to ask you to think about this for a moment. I'm going to ask you some questions, some things to consider, because sometimes you can sit here and you go, well, I, I'm a forgiving person. I don't have any unforgiveness in me. I, okay, that's an okay message, preacher, but I think most of us probably have some area or somebody that we need to release, somebody that we need to forgive. Let's, let's me throw some questions at you. So the four big test questions, the blame test. Who are you most likely to blame for your problems? You stop and think about it. Who are you most likely to blame for your unhappiness? If you would do this, then I would be happy. If they would do this, then I wouldn't have so much stress in my life. Think about that right now. This is going to, it's not going to help you unless you actually spend time working on it and thinking. Now, some of you, I know you're ignoring me and you're going, I'm not picking up the piece of paper, preacher, I'm not doing it. That's fine if you want to stay trapped in whatever struggles you're, you're walking through. I promise, after 24 years of ministry, most of us have some kind of struggle or a person that we need to forgive. Heavenly Father, I want to ask you to speak in this room right now. God, I just sense right now there's some hard hearts in here. And God, I just want to call it what it is. There are some hearts in here that are just closed off to you speaking to you right now. And Father, I pray for your spirit to take over in this room now because some of us, Lord, just hold on to things, hurts and hang-ups with people, and we need to let them go. God, I pray that we would take this little test seriously, that we would spend some time with you and just allow you to speak in our mind. Because God, when we are unforgiving, it holds us back from being all that you have desired for us. God, I pray and ask you to speak in this room right now to us. The blame test. Who are you blaming for your problems. If you said things like, if I had a different parent, if it wasn't for my mom doing this, or if it wasn't for my dad doing this, if it wasn't for my boss doing this, who is it you look back or you, you think about, well, I blame them. If it wasn't for them, then I wouldn't be this kind of person. That's a blame test. That means there's someone in your life that you need to forgive. The rehearsal test. Who is the first person that comes to mind if you were to ask the greatest hurt in your life? Think about that. If you're asked the greatest hurt in my life is, think about going through the, the torture of your own life. I, I to know for a fact that you're holding on to a grief or to a grudge or guilt. You're holding on to something, something that tortures you. That when a person's name comes up, your thoughts are not loving thoughts. It's just torture inside of you. Got to admit it. Everybody has some kind of hidden hurts. My husband hasn't measured up to what I thought he would be. My wife isn't all that I thought she would be. Rehearsal test. Scoreboard test. Is there anybody you tend to keep score on? In other words, they did it again. You keep a little score in your mind so that when you get in an argument with them, you say, well, you did this. Yeah, but you did this. Yeah, but you did this. And the scoreboard starts going up and you're rehearsing everything that you've gone through. Many times couples do this. My mom and dad are married for 48 years and I remember at times I'm saying, well, we never argued. And us kids would be like, you argued? I think they forgot about them. I, I think they practice this idea of not keeping score. And so they just forgot about them. Brian and I have been married for over 20 years. And, and there are times I know we've had arguments. I know we've had some ugly arguments. I can't really remember them. 
Now, that could be because I'm a guy and I forget all the details. She probably could tell you. Some of you guys are like, I agree, I understand. That's the first amen I got this morning. We're supposed to forgive and forget. But if you're keeping score and you keep bringing it up, bringing it up, bringing it up, then there's hurts. Do you know the Bible said love keeps no record of wrongs? It doesn't say it keeps some record of wrongs. It doesn't say you're allowed to keep a few. It says it keeps no record of wrongs. Absolutely none. Did you hear about the guy who was talking to his friend? He said, I got home and I had an argument with my wife last night. She got historical. He said, do you mean hysterical? No, she told me everything I've ever done wrong. (laughs) That's called scoreboarding. Who you're keeping score on? They did it. I'll forgive them, but I won't forget it. That's scoreboarding. Question number four. The reminder test. Do you ever find yourself reacting negatively to somebody because they remind you of somebody else? Do you ever find yourself reacting to somebody because they remind you of somebody? This is the, uh, uh, one of the major problems in marriages. Well, when they do that, that reminds me of my dad. When they do that, that reminds me of my mom. When they do that, that reminds you of how my grandma used to teach me. A lot of times, unresolved resentment and unresolved hurts and unresolved grudges, and we bring them into marriage and we transfer all that energy into our spouse or we transfer that onto our children. And I just want to tell you, that's not right. That's not right. Your spouse is not your dad. Your spouse is not your mother. Your spouse is not somebody who hurt you in the past. And your children are not your parents. Sometimes we hold on to those things and we destroys our marriage or destroys our relationships because we haven't forgiven someone else who has hurt us. You find somebody that always reacts because they remind you of somebody else, that's a sign that you need the prayer of release. So real quick, how do I release this stuff? We can go into a whole other sermon and a whole other series of messages in this, but real quick, what do you do? One, you leave it to God. When you've been hurt, you've got to leave it to God and say, God, this is yours. God, I don't understand it. God, it's beyond my abilities. God, I don't know why they treated me this way or why they behave this way. But God, I release it to you and you, you take control of it and you do with it whatever you see necessary. It's out of my control. Secondly, you heal it with grace. God, I need your grace for me and I need your grace for them. And God, would your grace take over and would you heal this? Because it's only by the grace of God that healing can take place. And then thirdly, you nail it to the cross. What do you mean by nail it to the cross? What that means, you say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I've hurt people before and I don't mean to. And I accept your forgiveness in the cross. And you say, God, the person who has hurt me or the people who have hurt me, God, I take them to the cross because I know that you can heal their sin as well. Now, four questions. What names come to your mind? You should be writing those on the card. I want to encourage you to write those on the card here and we're going to pray and Continue in our worship and encourage you as an act of handing it over to God and saying, God, I'm releasing it. I'm nailing it to the cross is to actually physically bring that card, fold it up and put it at the foot of the cross and then partake in communion. Partake in communion saying, God, I'm thankful that you cleanse me. God, I'm thankful you make me whole. God, I'm thankful that you forgive me of all my sins. And I promise we're not going to open those cards up and read them. We're going to pick them up after service. We're going to throw them in a trash can. But sometimes there's something good in the exercise of walking before the cross and spending a moment standing before the cross and thinking about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection 
and the fact that he died for your sins and forgives you of everything, and it's a debt that we cannot possibly pay back, that we need to give that to other people, and we just lay at the foot of the cross, Lord, these people, I want to forgive them like that, or this person. And then we celebrate in communion our freedom and our forgiveness in Christ. Heavenly Father, you understand hurt more than any of us do. You understand pain because you gave us your son Jesus to die for our sins and to pay our debt. Lord, I don't want to, and I pray that in this body of believers that none of us would desire to carry pain for another second. God, none of us want to be a bitter person. God, we need your grace. We need your power in the cross to release our hurt. Lord, we need to be forgiven. And we need to forgive others who've hurt us. Father, today could be a turning point if we choose. Today could be a turning point where we really experience your forgiveness and we're set free from from a resentful heart. Jesus, we thank you for dying for us. Lord, we accept your grace and we accept your forgiveness. Help us to accept it daily and help us to be people who will then employ and share your forgiveness. Lord, every memory that comes back, every memory of hurt, Lord, help us to forgive again. Help us to forgive and release, forgive and release, forgive and release it to you. Lord, we ask that you would heal broken hearts with your grace. Heal pain with your grace. Heal hurts with your grace. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.